One way that you can tell that humans are not purely material, that humans are not just bodies, firing neurotransmitters, clumps of cells floating around in a random universe, one way that you can tell that humans have souls is because every human seeks out certain basic needs. And I'm not talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something like that, food, shelter, water, but talking about needs that us creatures here on earth have that only God himself could provide. I'm thinking about three specifically. The first one is a foundation, something sure, surety, something that we can trust in, that we can lean on. Something that we can believe in. And even if a human is not a Christian, and for them it is not the church's doctrine or God or the Bible, people will seek out all sorts of things to lean on. Whether that is scientific studies telling them exactly what health practices they should adopt, whether that is some other worldview other than Christianity, you can pick any worldview you want. The worldview of wokeism, the worldview of feminism, the worldview of Islam, whatever worldview you want. And it all has attenuating doctrines which you must believe and which provide you something, even if they are inconsistent, something to lean on, a foundation to live your life by. Another need that humans seek out not their minds or bodies, but their souls, is majesty, something glorious. When we were out driving around in Colorado this summer on vacation, there were all sorts of people there, you could tell, by all the bumper stickers on their cars, mostly Subarus. That's how it is that they were looking for majesty in the mountains. And the mountains are majestic, there's no doubt. God's creation outdoors in nature, it is majestic, it is glorious. But whether it's the mountains or the lake, or whether it's even majesty in something that you can find in something like a fine piece of woodworking, something you could find in a piece of furniture that is so finely crafted and hand details, people look for things that are majestic. People find and want things that are glorious. And the final need that people's souls think out that I'm thinking about today is comfort. Comfort in hard times. Because no matter who you are, no matter how materialistic you may think things are, No matter how much someone even believes that they don't have a soul, they will still go through hard times in life. And even if they think it's random, they're still going to try to comfort themselves. Maybe they'll just kind of enter a vegetable state by watching hours and hours of Netflix. Or maybe they'll try and rationally explain things away. Or maybe they'll try and adopt some sort of special breathing method to make things better for them, whatever it may be, 
people will seek out forms of comfort for hardship in life. People have souls. They are not purely material. Now, when Peter recounts his experience on the mountain with Jesus, you would think that that experience, out of all experiences, would give him these things. You would think that for Peter and James and John, that you could have surety, majesty, and comfort if you got to do what Peter got to do. If you got to see Jesus standing there, shining like the sun, his clothes as bright as light, prophets from old raised from the grave to be there with him to show you the truth of everything that the Bible has taught. If you got to see Jesus in his divine glory, that it is truly God in the flesh, God made manifest that He is not joking when he says he is divine. He is not joking when he has these claims to the Messiah. He was not joking the chapter before when Peter confessed that he was the Christ, the Son of God. If you got to see that, you would be sure about everything. Never again, you think, you would doubt who Jesus was and what he came to do. Now, of course... We know that even despite this sure glory that Peter saw, he did doubt. In fact, he even rejected knowing Jesus not many chapters later. But you would think it would be so sure. And you would think it would be so majestic. So majestic it is even hard to comprehend the majesty of God on a mountain. Shining bright, as bright as lightning, brighter than the sun. It would be more majestic than any mountains you could see in Colorado or anywhere else. And it would certainly be comforting. You can see the comfort Peter has when he's there. When he says, it is good to be here. I want to stay here forever. Let's pitch some tents and camp out. It's so good to be here. What is amazing about when Peter recounts this story later on in his life after he has rejected Jesus and after he has been forgiven for rejecting Jesus, when he's writing his epistle later on, he says, that was great, but we have something more sure. We have something even better. Verse 19, and we have something more sure, the prophetic Word. Peter is even himself at this time being carried along, as he will say, by the Holy Spirit, writing Holy Scripture. But he knows that Scripture, even above his own experience, even above the time he spent in the flesh with Jesus, is better. Scripture is more sure. It is sure in a couple of different ways. Let's think about this. Sure, because unlike that time at the transfiguration, it was not just for Peter and James and John and Moses and Elijah. 
It would be great to be Peter or James or John, but we are not Peter, James, or John. I am not Peter, James, or John. You are not Peter, James, or John. But what is given to everyone that are not Peter, James, and John, what is given to everyone is this word. For all times, for all places, God gives us his people, his holy word. And this word, it is sure. It is a foundation for you. It is sure because it comes directly from God. It is true, if you go and talk to the lawyers, that even eyewitness accounts can be wrong sometimes. And so Peter may even, if you think about it, if you think about something that happened years ago in your life, maybe he can't even remember the transfiguration so well. Maybe he can. It would certainly be an event you wouldn't forget. But maybe he can't even remember all the details that well. But the word is different than that. The word is not something that you might forget because the word is written. And it is written not just from man, not just from flawed men with flawed eyes and flawed ears. But notice what Peter says here. It was not produced only by the will of man, but men, yes, spoke from God. The word is as sure as the voice that came down from heaven that day, the very voice that is the most glorious voice The voice of God. God speaks in his word. God has a perfect memory. God is perfect, and when he speaks, his words are perfect. And so as men are carried along by God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, to write these words, they cannot be flawed. They cannot be doubted. In fact, they are perfect. They are inerrant. They are without error. And so this makes for us, for you today, a very sure foundation. More sure than scientific studies, double-blind, tons of participants. More sure than that. More sure than any doctrine of this world, than any worldview, no matter how consistent it may be in and of itself, although they're normally not. The word is more sure. And so whenever you in yourself have doubts, whenever you in yourself are confused about this world, which can be on this side of heaven, very confusing at times, whenever you feel like everything around you is unstable and the walls seem like they might crumble down at any moment and the building might collapse, know that you have a sure foundation. Nothing is more sure than this foundation, his holy word. And the word is not just a foundation. It is not just sure. It is not just true. It is all of that. But within that, it is also, and to think about this is maybe even more amazing, more majestic than Jesus on the mountain. Now, you might say the Bible is not an aesthetic 
majesty in the same way that Jesus, shining bright like the sun, was an aesthetic majesty, or in the way that the mountains, when you look at them and the lakes, are aesthetic majesties. But like the white light of Christ shining on that day in the eyes of Peter and James and John, so Peter says this, we have a better lamp. We have a lamp shining in a dark place. The word is a light unto our path. It is a lamp for our souls. And that light is majestic. Because when God speaks, it is majestic. Yes, it would have been great to hear his voice come down from the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That voice is glorious and majestic, but that is the same voice that speaks in the Bible. And that's why we call the Bible the Holy Bible. Because holy, set apart, the Bible is set apart. The Bible is unlike any other book that is written. And while you could mine the depths of any other book, you could take a book, even a really, really good book like a Shakespeare play or since we're in Mississippi, let's say a William Faulkner book, and you could mine the depths of it. You could find out all the little nuances that the author thought about and made connections with. You could study it and memorize it, and you would have a really good grasp on the book. But the Bible is deeper. The Bible is wider. The Bible is higher. The Holy Bible is more set apart than any book ever written by man. You cannot mine the depths of the Bible. You can get a good grasp on it, but you will never, ever in your lifetime, mine the depths of it. Like when you look out at the mountains in Colorado or wherever else the mountains may be and you see how tall and wide they are and you cannot fathom their glory and their majesty in God's creation, the Bible even more so. When you look out at all the chapters and verses, you cannot fathom the glory and majesty hidden therein. And just like when you look at the details of a fine piece of furniture even and you see the majesty in something like that, even more so the Bible. When you look at the details therein, they are majestic and glorious, they are fine, they are well-crafted, and they are more than you could ever fathom. And so sure, look for majesty in God's creation. For it is there and it is wonderful. But even more so, learn to love the majesty of his word as well. And as that word is a glorious light, it is also finally our comfort. Our light, Peter says, not just to be a bright light, although it is, but a light shining in a dark place. And as we already said, you will have dark places in your life. Everyone does. Everyone experiences hardships. I see people experience these dark places. I see people go into dark places. I see people with cancer and terminal illnesses. I see people who struggle 
whenever they try to deny that they even have a soul. I see people struggle, not just with the needs of surety and majesty and comfort, but I see people even struggle with things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people who need food, people who need shelter. And I see people who have needed surgeries and need recovery. I see people who are oppressed by the devil. I see people in all sorts of dark places. I myself have been to dark places. You have been to dark places. You know what I'm talking about. But we have something more sure, more majestic, and even more comforting than when Peter saw Jesus on the mountain. We have the word. Yes, it would be great to have Jesus and Moses and Elijah here to tell us it would all be okay. But you have Jesus here. You have his word. And so when you are sick, the word says to you, yes, even though your flesh and bones waste away, you have life. And even your flesh can dwell secure because you will be restored, if not now, on the last day. Jesus says to you, he comes to you with healing in his wings. When you are in need of food or shelter, the word says to you, think of Paul's words in Philippians 3, I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to have nothing at all. I know what it is to face hunger and need, but I am content in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you have a conscience burdened by sin, the word says to you, blessed is he who trans- whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he who confesses his iniquity to the Lord, for he will forgive the iniquity of your sin. And when you are oppressed by the devil, the word says to you, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. He will cover me with his feathers. He will hide me under his wings. In him I shall take refuge And the truth for me will be a shield and buckler, and I will not be afraid of the terror by night. And for any other dark place you find yourself in, he says to you words, comforting words, gracious words, merciful words. Words like what can separate you from his love? Can height or depth? Can anything separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No, it can't. He says to you, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The word speaks, and the word comforts. The word gives your soul everything you need. It is your sure foundation, your rock. It is your majesty and your glory. And it is your light in a dark place. And so you can say today with Peter, when you are in the word, it is good, Lord, to be here. It is good, Lord, to be in your word. It is good, Lord, to be here. Let us stay here forever. Amen.